Hello and welcome to the A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm Tom Chrisman, Chief Creative Officer at DeMassimo Goldstein, an inspiring action agency in New York City. And today, I get to talk to Libby Brockoff and Franklin Tipton. Libby is the CEO and co-founder, and Franklin is a partner and the head of copy of Odysseus Arms in San Francisco, California. Odysseus Arms is the definition of a modern agency, it says here. Independent, nimble, highly collaborative, digitally driven, and results-obsessed. Their unique strategic and creative approach, Third Eye, has yielded unprecedented results for clients including Gallo Wines and its Barefoot Wine brand, Facebook, Kodak, Coca-Cola, and Microsoft. This Third Eye approach we're going to talk about in the interview, it's really interesting what Libby does working directly with consumers to sort of gain insights and have ideas at the same time. It's fascinating. I want to, I want to see it. I want to see it in action. They talk about everything from growing up on the dirt roads of the South. That's their, they said that, I didn't say it. Moving to uh, the University of Delaware, going to England together. They've done a lot, and now they have started an agency together. Well, eight years ago. They have an agency together called Odysseus Arms. Check it out. The A-List is brought to you by Ad House Advertising School, advertising age called Ad House New York's newest, smallest, and arguably hippest ad school. Their philosophy? An ad class is only as relevant as the professional who teaches it. Ad house classes are taught by the best in the biz in the agencies where they work. You get 10 weeks of classes for just 600 bucks. To apply, go to adhousenyc.com. And for the latest news, follow adhousenyc on Facebook. And now, my conversation with Libby Brockoff and Franklin Tipton. Hey, Franklin and Libby. Hey, is it Tom? It is. It's Tom Chrisman. How are you? I don't know if we've ever actually met in person, but it's good to meet you on, uh, on you know. I think we did. Didn't we, uh, weren't we both interns at Deutsch at the same time? Oh, holy shit. You remember this stuff? Yeah, you were actually a go-getter. This is a great story. Uh, I was uh, sitting in the studio while you ran around and actually made friends with people. And I remember, <laughs> I remember thinking, Wait, "Wow, there's uh, a person with social skills. I wish I had those." Was uh, Michael Gawacki sitting there with you? Is that I have no right idea time? because uh, I sat there and read my my books and got yelled at by uh, Don's Donnie's dad. Right, David. <laughs> David. <Up too. laughs> we got hauled into David's office one time. David. Oh, I'm really bummed we didn't hang out more. I didn't realize that you were there at the same time. Yeah, I was the kid with the mullet, the weird-looking kid with the mullet who was always uh, reading books and not talking to anyone. Then what happened to you? Uh, well, then I went and got a job at Ogilvy Direct uh, because I couldn't get a job at Goldsmith Jeffrey where I really wanted to work and uh, learned how to write <clears throat> direct mail and then got a job at Kirschenbaum and you were there too and it was like your last week or something you were heading off oh that's when I went to England yeah and uh so we're, we're stepping on your story but uh yeah we've we've crossed paths a couple of times I, I always I was too uh I was too much of a of a weirdo at that point in my life to uh to get to know you but uh I'm glad we're finally talking yeah, us too. We appreciate you doing this with us. Thank you for inviting us. Uh, Mark says hi. Mark DeMassimo says hi. Um, 
So yeah, uh, tell us tell us about uh, you guys. Where where did you and and I? I've never done a, a twofer over the phone. We did we did one uh, with Terry and Sandy here in the office, but it's. Uh, I just want to offer up like how did how did you guys get started individually? Maybe Libby, starting with you, ladies first. Yeah. So are you are you talking about getting started in the business? Um, where you came from and why why when you. That's what we like to start is is where you were born and 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 what you wanted to be. Absolutely. Um, so I grew up mostly in Lawrenceville, Georgia, which I hear is a pretty robust suburbia now that people love to live in because it's close to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I lived there, it was a bunch of unpaved roads, and there was one Seven Eleven that you could kind of make your way to. So. It was super rural Atlanta, and um, I was a latchkey kid, so um, that meant I spent a lot of days by myself and walking to the pool and things like that. And I think it's, you know, with the age of cell phones and all other sorts of modern technology, I guess I realize now that a lot of those moments um, were is where like a lot of my creativity kind of started. And, um, you know, I had, um, a plant company that I started out of a little red wagon. (laughs) So I used to go around and sell those to people. I had a building company, um, Uh which pretty much destroyed like all of my dad's extra building supplies. Um, and a lot of other like random little, uh, things that I got up to, but when you're a latchkey kid in the seventies, um, boredom yeah. was a huge part of life. Um, and now they've, they've scientifically proven that it's super important to be bored. They've scanned brains and apparently bored brains are the most hyperactive things you've ever seen. So yeah. I think that might've contributed to, um, being, you know, wanting to do something and put myself in an environment I, where I, I can be. I think it might have too. Uh, I and is that where your entrepreneurial spirit? Where did that? Where did that come from? Because you were starting. You know, was, a lot of us had uh, bake sales or or, or uh, made lemonade, but uh, you you made actual businesses. So did that come from your parents? Was that a, a thing you just saw on TV? What was the I think so. I mean, my parents had no, you know, had no creative background whatsoever, but I think all of their creativity stemmed from being underdogs. My mom never got to go to college, but she had a lot of very successful businesses. And my dad was the only um, child on a family farm that got to go to college. So both my parents were big fighters, came from underdog families, and so maybe that probably had a lot, little bit to contribute to it. Right. And then, Franklin, where, where were you growing up at, at, at that time? Uh, okay, so when I was uh, really young, I was born in Nashville, and uh, when I was about, I was a young boy, and my dad was in the Army, and we moved up to Maryland area. There's a, a big proving ground up there. He's worked in the Army Corps Engineers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to tell you, I'm really glad that that happened because I, I love Tennessee to death. I mean, Tennessee families are, are pretty tight and, you know, devout to the 
the whole uh, culture and everything. But um, he went to Vanderbilt. Most of my family went to Vanderbilt. And that was like kind of one of the only doors out of the rural South that Libby was kind of describing. So I had a lot of dirt roads in my world too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we moved, we moved to, eventually we settled, um, in the suburbs of, uh, uh, Wilmington, Delaware. And so then I, you know, went through school there and I got to go to the university of Delaware and at the university of Delaware, they had this thing called the visual communications program, which was, it was a science degree, but, um, it was in the art department and it had a reputation for, uh, undergrads actually getting hired at ad agencies in New York City. So I, I, <laughs> I made a beeline for that because I didn't want to make, you know, I didn't want to live in my parents, uh, I didn't want to live in my bedroom at home. Um, so I, I went through the program and, and that's a whole story. Um, and Libby went through that program and a, a bunch of other people will talk about, but that's where I came from. And that was it. That was at Vanderbilt. Uh, now, the University of Delaware. University of Delaware. I'm so sorry. Uh, and and yeah. Libby, where did you, you went to University of Delaware as well? Yeah, so we went through this insane, hardcore <laughs> program. A lot of the leaders in our industry now actually graduated from there, like Bill Oberlander yep. at Overland and Carl Lieberman, who runs uh, Wideman Kennedy in New York. And the list goes on and on. Um we're having our heyday right now, <laughs> but um, it all kind of stems from this uh, Cajun guy, Ray Nichols, who ran that program, Ooh. and it's a legendary program. One of the things um, that's really unique is that not everyone there got a trophy. In fact, there were not a lot of trophies being handed out at all. He had a rigorous cut program that happened every year so imagine you were in your junior year and you could actually get cut out of the program the other thing is that you were ranked on a daily basis so he ranked and put that rank on his office door so you pretty much knew where you stood the entire time and I mean the whole thing just I don't want to say it ran on fear but it was a you know Franklin and I like to call it kind of positive fear or positive uh, stress that yeah. kind of motivates people. Um, so I uh, went in that program too. Franklin was a year ahead of me yeah, and was a really famous kind of graduate from there too, because he was first in his class. And um, so everyone pretty much knew who he was. And this um, teacher of ours really put this program together to simulate real life. What was it going to be like when you tried to go up to New York and get a job? Right. So uh, it was a super fun program. I mean, I met Franklin, I guess, in my junior year. And this probably sounds shocking and very like unfun, but I had been to like very few college parties, done very little outside of trying to concentrate on this program because um, he also used to take us up to New York a lot, and he had a lot of um, great uh, entries into good agencies because of all these graduates. Yeah. But he'd take you there, and you'd pretty much dream like, oh, my God, if I just stick to this, I can work in this industry and have fun. And so I was super dedicated to uh, getting out of my parents' house yeah. and like, doing other things. Um, this guy's a really... Um, inspiring leader and really set the foundation for Franklin, myself, and so many other people in the industry. Yeah. Now. Ray, Ray Nichols, you say. 
Is he still yeah. is he still there? He retired. Okay. Yeah, he recently retired, yeah. Um and what when you say he ranked you, what was the ranking based on and how, what did it teach you? What are the things that you had to get better at to get higher in the rankings? Well, so uh you know, when you're teaching advertising, you're teaching strategy, there's you know, so it, it can be pretty abstract. Um so the first thing he would do is yeah, I think he set himself uh, to the task of sort of opening as many doors as he could, and then he encouraged you to go through them. And that's, I think that's, you know, what a good teacher is all about. Um, as far as like rating what, what that begat, um, you know, it was completely subjective. I mean, they had, uh, they had, there were three of these, uh, professors. All of them were pretty renowned for, uh, there, there's a, a, a professional photographer, mm-hmm. uh, Martha Carruthers was all, she was a book artist that had all her stuff in the Library of Congress. Um, and then there's Ray, who's this kind of wild um, Cajun guy. Hmm. Uh, and so they, they rated you, you know, you'll see this in uh, intellectual property, uh, you know, evaluation systems. They rated us with little dots. <laughs> you'd get, <laughs> you got a dot. That was good. You know, it seems kind of childish, but you basically piled up the dots and, uh, like Libby said, you'd check the, the ranking every week, he'd post it. And if you were, you know, only 20 people were getting into the next year. So if you were 21, you know, you'd sweat, you had to so I, think, I think all the ranking was based on emotion. It was all about what all of us aspire to do every day. How can we make a piece of pop culture that literally affects people, changes the way people think and, you know, sticks into someone's brain. I mean, if you think about our brains being so hyper-sliced today, I mean, he looked for ideas that affected people. I mean, he was a major George Lois uh, fan. So he would take, you know, a Volkswagen lemonade and he could spend an hour talking about this thing. Yeah. How could one word, how could one vehicle on a piece of paper transform people's thinking and so he really pushed you towards that kind of thinking so when you talk about how you were ranked you had to move him and I mean think about how many class years um you know that Ray had uh, any teacher has how do you inspire a teacher I mean that's pretty hard to do they've got hundreds of, of students so I feel like that's kind of what he was looking for in the ranking. Like you really had to like shake him up to, to get somewhere in that class. Right. He wasn't just going by the fundamentals. He was going by your whole sales pitch. Hell no. He went by Ray Nichols rules. And I got to tell you, I, you know, he drew from really amazing places. Like there was this one book that um, the uh, Microsoft guys, I think, wrote. And they were back when they were at Berkeley in the late seventies or something, I think it's called the universal traveler. Okay. And he based a lot of it on this book. And the whole idea was, uh, engineers, a lot of times, you know, you, you running through a lot of like really logical thinking, um, a, a blank page can scare them to death. Like they just don't, they don't have a process. I think it, this universal traveler thing might be like the four, forbear like a rough draft for design thinking i'm i'm thinking about it now but anyway um he made a lot of this stuff up but he would get these really good sources yeah and he he basically systemized uh how to do creativity and how to how to do disrupt you know how to how to 
capture disruption, how to capture, how to break down an icon, you know, and, and create another one. Right. Um, so it was really abstract, but just fascinating. I mean, every day, you know, you were like that, that 15 year old kid that didn't want to turn the lights out at night because his projects were just, you know, wild, like intellectual kind of adventures. Do you remember um, one that really, that really sort of moved you and made you sort of realize something? I mean, I'm thinking of Franklin did this awesome campaign for just a nasal spray. I mean, you make you do something like that, a pharmaceutical yep. ad, uh -huh. and then you weren't allowed to use any words. Um, so Franklin had these three visual executions that were stunning. I mean, not just the drawings and, and the art behind it, but Franklin, they had, what were the three ones that you had, like arrows? Oh, yeah, so I, I merged, I did a sort of juxtaposition. Um, I took a image of a flower that was pollinating, and I just replaced the pollen with, like, little daggers and little little swords that uh -huh. were kind of, you know, emitting from the thing is in the wind. That's cool. Um, and, yeah, it was really neat. Um, and Visualizing I think the, the problem. It's great. Yeah, visualizing problem and i it's funny where, where how i you know cracked that i i was standing in a cvs um trying to think of you know you do this when you're a student and i'm right. like looking i'm gonna i'm gonna pick the toughest aisle <laughs> to <laughs> do this for and i went into the pharmaceutical aisle and just started staring at at all the different you know products and i, I don't know i came up with that you know uh -huh. and I, I don't know the point is this it's it, um the VC program, I think, it created a, a culture of um, fearlessness. I mean, there was just literally nothing you wouldn't attack um, because the guy had trained us to go through every door <laughs> and just, you know, figure something yeah. out. I love looking um, at uh, looking at books that aren't advertising books, quote unquote. I'm, I'm assuming the Universal Traveler wasn't really a marketing book. It was more of a of a thinking book, like a philosophy about about design? Yeah, it was a it was a how to be creative for for code guys. Yeah, early forms. That's so what it was. So I I encourage a lot of people that I'm working with to read outside of of advertising, and that that seems like a great book. I'm going to go pick that up. Uh, it just seems like a great a great place to start. You know, see how other people think about about design. Um, so that's really cool that you had that teacher that was um, that kind of taught you new ways to think. Um, so you both were going there. Did you know you were going to work together? Were you, were you friends? Did you hang out? Where did you, what, what was going on then? Um, basically I just chased after him the entire time after I met him, because if you could get under the wing of one of these upperclassmen. Yeah. So I spent my, uh, my spring break just, I mean, this is pre-internet, which I hate saying in a podcast but no be proud, so, be I proud. Was, <laughs> so i was the image finder librarian go-getter person who would basically you know um franklin at that time wasn't a copywriter he is now obviously but um i've i've always been um more inclined to the art direction side so i would go to the library and be able to find all these incredible images for these kooky ideas he had so we made like a great team from the start, even though at that time he was also an art director. Mm -hmm. uh, and so after after school, Franklin, you you graduated first. Where did you where did you go? What's the what was your where did you want to work and where did you end up working? I, I wanted to work 
at like Kirschenbaum and Bond or or Deutsch. They were kind of the the you know full of kids, yeah. Um, kind of hot shops for their days. Super lateral thinking, like really mm-hmm. really aggressive, um, interesting work. Um, but there was a recession on, and uh, I went around town and I momentarily got a job. It was very very disruptive times. <laughs> I yeah. got a job at Amarati and Purist for about like a day, I think. And then mm-hmm. that, that sort of fell apart. And then I ended up scoring a job with um, at JWT with this guy we called Jim. His name's uh, James Patterson. He's the novelist yeah. that you see in the airport. So he, you know, I didn't have tons of interaction with him. He's a really nice guy. Um, but he was, you know, he was sort of like the senior statesman in the agency. Great guy. Really, really nice to the, the kids. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and then I, I was partnered with Michael Lean, who went on to become the CMO of Cartoon Network. Huh. Um, I sort of cut my teeth with him, you know. <laughs> and what, when you before you got the job, what what did you? How did you go out and get one? I'm sure there's a lot of people out there listening that are thinking like, I want a job. I would take a job at uh, any of those places, uh, even the ones I haven't heard of, <laughs> like Kirschenbaum. Uh, these kids today. Um, but uh, wh- how did you? What did you do to go get that? What was your, what was your, I'm sure uh, uh, Cajun guy, Ray Nichols, helped you figure that out, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was all down to your portfolio, just like it is today. Yeah. Nothing's changed. Um, it was, I was just going to say that. I was going to say, like, I didn't know what Franklin was going to say, but from being in the position of owning a company, and we've been on, like, just a hiring spree. We've been trying to hire a ton of people. So we have looked at so many books at all the the um, portfolio schools. Yeah. There's about five of them. And it's kind of hard to hire people who don't come out of those schools just because there's so much rigor to what we do. Yeah. So we, even though we look outside of those places, and I honestly answer every email that comes to me in terms of, um, you know, uh, job inquiries because we've hired so many people that are outside of that mold too, which I really, um, really value a lot. Mm-hmm. But one thing I would say is like from doing it recently, like there's a lot of bad books. So like, if you're wondering like what a tip is, like work on your book, like honestly look just recently have been through working with like four or five different headhunters looking at all these schools. And it was like really hard so find a book, latch onto it, and run down the hall and be like, Franklin, look at this kid. This is amazing stuff. What makes so, you do that? What 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 are some some things you look for when you're when you're doing that? I think it's a combination of two things. The first is just super smart thinking, and it's really not that hard to do. But just coming at a problem and either solving it visually or solving it in an interesting way, and it's it really doesn't have to be anything based about on technology solutions. Like that was, I think, super trendy like five years ago. It's like, oh, wow, this person can do social. They can make an app. They can do VR. Like we don't care about any of that shit because everything we do, we just figure out kind of the best media outlet based on the idea. And it it still really doesn't matter. We're doing all that. We're innovating all of these new technologies and and kind of new platforms but at the end of it you can't you can't innovate any of those spaces unless you're able to really create um those interesting ideas 
Yeah, I always say like it's not about the technology because there's so many books I see too where where they have uh, they have an app idea and it's like that's great. You'll never do it. It's never going to happen. Uh, what's the idea? You know. So uh, and and technology changes so quickly that even if you are quote unquote native today, in two years you won't know what the heck is going on. Um, right. But, uh, I remember. I remember when Franklin like went around New York and uh, just having such a good book propelled him to all these different places. He had people calling up other places so he could show his book. Yeah. And the same thing happened when we went to England. It took like one contact. We got our foot in one door and that led to interviews at every other place. And it's just all based on that work that was yeah. there. The work is, is important. What, what was in your book, uh, Franklin? Do you think that, that people were so, uh, so into, what was it about your book? Um, well, yeah, it was just I- idea smithing all yeah. the way. Um, you know, it's, it's hard for me to and a really lot remember of, every single thing I did back no, then. Yeah, it's, he it's, had a lot of visual solutions for things, which are always, I think, going to win a creative director's heart if you can solve something without words. Yeah. So they were um, visually stunning, and he had a lot of skills, which back in the day went drawing. He's like a phenomenal artist, and he was able to not just think up great ideas, but he was able to frame them and and deliver them in a way that was captivating. I mean, you, you didn't want to be the year behind him, which I was, right. um, and try and follow, try and do a book like his. There's just no way. Um, he worked at that. He was also like a double major in illustration. And so people might be mm. going, oh, whatever, I know, like Adobe C-suite, like I can like um, do all that, you know, it's all about technology now, but when you're on set with a director and you really need them to like frame something up different or make something visually stunning, like you better know how to draw it out. There's no computers. Um, there's no other way to visualize it. Um, so I think that was one of those things that made it. <laughs> we're talking cool. about, you know, right as the Macs were coming in, obviously this period of time, um, which before that, you actually had to learn, how, you had to know how to draw. Like yeah. to, be a, to get a job as an art director, you, you had to be able to visualize um, because the art was at at the time relative to today's dollars, it was really expensive. Yeah, you know, to, to hire an illustrator, to hire an artist, and yeah. so that's how that worked. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, you yeah, got Libby you. Has a lot of, uh, Sorry, Libby has a lot of nice things to say about me, and that's wonderful. <laughs> um, I had one funny story, a lateral strategy story. It's kind of funny about Libby. Meanwhile, while I was pounding the pavement in New York. Uh, Back at the University of Delaware, she was finishing up, and they, our program was pretty derelict. It was like underfunded. Um, the whole art department it was more of an engineering and business college than uh, Delaware was more of engineering and uh, chemical engineering and business than uh, banking and things like that. Right. And um, and art. And right. so the art department was, you know, it was just derelict. I mean, yeah. there were holes in the walls, no equipment, everything was obsolete. Um, so this is kind of a cute story. Um, the, they published in the school newspaper that the president uh, was offering up president for the day at, of the university. Uh-huh. And all you had to do was go out and raise, uh, you know, the most, person who went out and raised uh, the most money for this charity would get to 
be president for the day as a student, and he would go on your schedule for the day uh-huh. and meet all your teachers. You know, you know these universities are big, 40,000-person campus. Um, there's a lot of, you know, sub-departments that he might not be familiar with. Right. So Libby thought uh, he needs to really come and see how amazing this program is and how underfunded it is. Mm-hmm. And so uh, she went out, raised, all, raised the most money, um, became president for the day, sent the president on her schedule. He went to all the visual communications classes, met the met the um, Cajun guy, Ray. Mm-hmm. Um, and I come back the next year, and it's a completely different story. I mean, wow. the thing's modernized. They have computer rooms. I mean, she literally, like, ushered the program into the modern age. <laughs> That's amazing. And what, what, uh, where did you, where'd you get that, uh, that kind of power, Libby? Where'd you, where'd you find that, uh, in yourself? Is that something you always do? Well, just, you know, I have a lot of gratitude for things and I saw how hard Ray worked. I mean, he seemingly put like 24 seven effort into this place. Yeah program and I had a lot of gratitude for that and I wanted to do something back for him that would make his life better I couldn't believe how many great people that had you know changed pop culture came through his program who had been inspired by him and I just wanted to give him something back to be totally honest because I didn't really benefit from that but Ray did so um all about gratitude that's amazing. Um, and so you you get a job, uh, Franklin, uh, at JWT. What what were you working on at that point? Listerine. <laughs> okay. Uh, and and that's then probably about where the conversation ends. So. No, no, no. It's uh, you know, it's, I think it's still there that now, that account. Uh, uh, how about um, this will crack you up? It, the first thing that I got a chance to write was a global Kodak brief. Oh. Uh, little box canvas. Remember those things? Yeah. Kodak. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Franklin was, Franklin and his team, I can say this because not only was I lucky enough to get an internship there, obviously because of Franklin, he introduced me to his uh, creative directors, but his team that he got on were really uh, known for stirring the place up. They had a lot of corporate accounts um, and his group just got to come in and really fire everything up. So that was really fun to watch and really interesting as well. So you got, you got an internship there the next year, I guess, and you you were there over the summer or something. Yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. Um, And did you end up working there as well? No, I didn't. Franklin, he got me my next first job, which was like, so he had moved on to Deutsch. Okay. Like, he brought me around, and luckily his creative director, um, Scott Carlson, who I forget the name of his shop. It's called um, Van's General yeah, Store. Yeah, Van's General Store in New York there. Um, and so he <clears throat> luckily stopped by Franklin's desk. This is when port- paper portfolios still existed. Uh-huh. And was like, well, what the heck is this? And he looked through my portfolio and he gave me a job that day, which was amazing. Oh, that's so cool. Um, and that was, yeah, that was kind of a heyday when we had Swatch and all these other um, amazing brands. To Brit- work on. British Knights, right? Wasn't that there? British Knights. 
Bill Clinton was a client. Yeah. Donnie Deutsch. Ikea. Ikea, yeah, that was a big one. Ikea, so I mean, every, yeah. You know, you know from working there that the creatives ruled that place. I mean, no one, I never heard anybody talk about business, although, you know, obviously great ideas really help business results. Yeah. Um, but they really put that first, and it was the whole driver of that agency. Every day was some sort of creative shootout. Yeah, no, Donnie. Uh, Donnie loved that stuff. He loved the swagger. Uh, still does, I think. Um, and and what did you? Uh, where did you go on from there? Like, uh, at what point did you go to? At some point, you go to England and you start. You start mother, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I've be, I feel like I've had the luckiest career because prior to England, I had two more stops. I've gotten to work for all the best creative places. So I went from Deutsch to Shiat Day, mm-hmm. and I was there when Shiat, when Jay Shiat, you know, kind of brought in the whole remote working laptop culture, which was amazing. And I mean, he he brought planning to the United States, right? So yeah. we, that's when brand planning and brand strategy kind of joined. Um, talk about industry. talk about brand planning. What what is that? What is brand planning for somebody who may not understand it? Well, really, it's all about consumer insights, which if you don't understand that now, I think you really need to kind of wrap your head around that because, you know, when I first joined the industry, it was all about talking at people and we got to monitor that message. It sounds very big brother, but it's true. So we used to tell people what you were going to believe about Listerine or Clorox or tennis shoes. And so now consumers are obviously so much part of a brand. We can't just tell you what to believe. You already believe um, and have your own opinion about that and you share it. You're online. So consumers are as much a part of a brand as the company itself. And so what that brand strategy does is try to understand consumers' relationships with different brands, why they care about them, why they don't care about them, what purpose those brands have, do people get that message? So it's basically anything to do with the people that are buying those products is is brand strategy. And then, of course, how does that also fit into every other, um, you know, brand that's also competing against you? Like, What's their little USP? What's the thing that they're focusing on? And so how can you um, be interesting to people? And that was brought for the first time because it was, it was just research people before, right? There were research people and there were, uh, there were creatives and there were account people. Here they took uh, sort of the research area and turned it on its head and made it about um, sort of bringing the, the voice of the consumer in. Uh, and Jay Shiat was was a big part of that, bringing it from uh, from London, really, right? That's where it started. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you got to be there when uh, who was there at that time? Was it Ty Montague and and uh, Yeah, Ty Montague hired me. Um, Steve Schweitzer, um, Lee Cloud came to our office all the time, even though we were in New York. Yeah, he does not um, like New York. <laughs> yeah. Um, Eric Silver was there. We had everybody. Yeah. It was 
so much fun. Yeah, it sounds like um, it. Um, David Angelo, I know, was there um, at, at some absolutely. point around there. Uh, and the, the whole, uh, talk about that. Uh, so th- they had a, an office where nobody had a, a set desk, right? You had to get in and, and claim your space, get a phone, get a, uh, I, I can't imagine, uh, doing that. I would, I would never have anywhere to sit. <laughs> you don't want anybody to move your cheese. <laughs> no, don't move my stuff. Was it hard um, yeah. working like that or did it feel like new and cool? It felt really new and cool. I mean, that was an amazing place to work. You know, um, Wayne Gretzky is one of our uh, spirit animals here at OA. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of famous for, you know, he's a professional, just retired hockey player, but famous for um, kind of all, like not being where the puck was, but right. always being where it was next. Yeah, is kind of his legacy, and that's Jay Shiat. He was always wherever things were going to go next before you could even think it up. Mm-hmm. So uh, he was super inspiring to be around. They just had their fiftieth uh, anniversary. They're celebrating it, I think, this year. And uh, if you go online, you see a lot of a lot of old stories. There was one today, I think, somebody posted on LinkedIn about Jay Shiat's note back to Trump when he he. Uh, he told him he didn't like the ideas he had for Trump, uh, the Trump shuttle. Jay Shiat just wrote him, uh, sent the letter back with a note attached to it that said, it looks like some lunatic has stolen your stationery. <laughs> so uh, he got fired, but he got fired in the best way possible. Um, that was Jay Shiat. Uh, and, and, uh, where did you go, Franklin, from, from JWT? Were you, did you, you moved on to Deutsch and then where? And then, well, I spent a year over at Deutsch and then Jim talked me back into coming back up to JWT. So I did that for a couple of years and then I was part of the, one of the perks of being part of a global network is you can move around the world. Yeah. And I realized you could move to London. I was like, hey, we can do this. So I went and I got permission from Jim. It took me a little while to, to get him to do it. But, yeah. Um, Jim got hooked me up and there was a basically he approved it. Um, there was a there was a big motorcycle trip. Mark Waits, one of Libby's partners. Yeah. Um, and Dave you know, Dave Cook yeah. and Simon Brotherson and Graham Clifford were all going down. They were gonna drive from Alaska to the bottom of South America on their motorcycle. On their enduro bikes, <laughs> you know it's that. Yeah, so Simon worked at JWT, and he he needed somebody to fill his seat for six months. So I went and did this. So I I got his chair. Wow! And that's how we got to England. I know. Yeah, it was literally like uh, you know I got the the memo like be in London you know on Monday. <laughs> and you you had to do all of all of his work at that point. Suddenly yeah, you were you so were working I, all like the part of Simon will be played by Franklin. Yeah, I was Simon, and I I worked with uh, his partner, uh, who passed away, Bruce Menzies. He's a really good dude, very funny guy. Um, and I did that for six months. And the way that worked back then, you know, you if you proved your worth in in the economy and the scene, uh, you could re up. And so I just kept doing that for a while. Meanwhile, Libby, Libby was what were you planning on doing? Like I talked her into coming with me. And so we went over, and I think Libby thought she was going to be bussing tables or something because they, they just didn't give out work visas as generously as they do now. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, 
went around town. Um, Dave Cook kind of sent her around London and she met everybody and she bumped into Robert Savile and they got on and he, Robert was an interesting guy. So he was the sort of lead partner at mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, his story is, it's a sort of interesting slant on what we do. This was really the, uh, the disciplines were super siloed, like way far more siloed than they'll ever be now. Um, and so Robert, uh, I don't think he went to college, which was pretty normal over there. Uh, he got a job in the mailroom at Saatchi's back when they were great, the greatest agency on earth kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he got a, you know, he did that for a little while. And then he got an invitation to be like a junior account training, uh, account manager trainee. And he sort of went into that program. And then he kind of over the years worked his way up to account director, you know, which was uh, kind of the highest order of, a, of an account handler. Um, and then his creative director uh, noticed that he was really funny. He's a really great, Robert's an amazing mimic. I mean, amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a, like a skit writer, a sketch writer. Right. And so this creative director said, Hey, you're really, you know, you're really good at this. You make a great creative, which, you know, the silos were, were pretty walled off. I mean, yeah. you didn't go from account handler to creative that never happened. Right. Um, and so he took the salary cut, you know, he had a family and a mortgage and everything. He took the salary cut, became a junior copywriter, uh, went through the program. And in three years he was running all of GGT. So that's about when Libby met Robert. Wow. What's GGT again? <laughs> Gold Greenleaf's Trot. You know, I would say uh, Dave Trot was this uh, iconic creative leader. He'd done, you know, a lot of uh, really famous ad campaigns over the years. Um, and he was kind of really famous for a couple things. One, he, you know, apparently had staffed his entire creative department for 100,000 pounds, which if you do the math, uh, that's 10 guys at 10,000 a year or something. So, um, he was a great teacher, apparently. He was a, a superstar, but he was, he was very generous, a great teacher. And he could take these kids who turned into agency uh, owners and entrepreneurs and leaders in the UK uh, ad industry mm-hmm. um, and, you know, and groom them for greatness. And so along the way, funny story, um, they, they were trying to, Margaret Thatcher was trying to stimulate car sales. And so they, they made it so you could, write off a car uh, as an agency if you bought a bought a car and so he offered up to all these juniors go ahead get get out there and buy any car you want you have anything you want the agency's going to own it but go and get a porsche go and get a ferrari (laughs) and so in the basement they had a car park down there and apparently it was just you know a car show it was like like a luxury car show and so petrol was like ten dollars a gallon or something and um you, nobody could afford to actually drive the cars, yeah. but, but that's the legend of, of some of Dave Trott's thing. The other thing that he did was he had a three dot system. And so, uh, he would put, if you, if you screwed up, you'd get a dot put over your door. Mm-hmm. And so when, when you got to three dots, you were just gone. Jesus. So he's gotten rid of a lot of people. This is the second time you guys have brought up dots, and I'm just hearing about these dots, and it's been 25 years that I've been doing it. If I had only known about dots. Are you going to go buy some today and just, like, throw I might just out? start putting dots everywhere. What were these dots? Were they stickers, and you would just put them over people's doors? Yeah, you would, you would get a little, just a little 
you know, little blue dot sticker. They're the size of a pea, literally. Oh, my God. That is so but scary. And then you'd see that you had two. It was like the sword of Damocles hanging over your head. Yeah, you might as well just sleep at the agency at that point. Yeah, pack it up. Uh, so you're both over in England. What's that like being Americans in a, in a foreign place? And Or did you did you find that you really you fit in? We loved it from day one. I think that we probably came at a really good time. I know you mentioned like it's really hard for people to break in. And it really is. But we came to England at a time when it really needed a change. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I think we were really refreshing to the English market. I only say that because we got passed around a lot in that market and people uh, were very kind to us and took us in and helped us a lot. So we actually found it really exhilarating and they loved the idea of breaking all these rules. So they didn't want to keep doing the same joke. They have, there's like a, stockpile of the same jokes that all the ad people were putting in ads and so they really wanted to shake that up they were completely bored and they wanted to think about new ways to solve things and become avant-garde and so that's what we represented to them they loved the fact that we didn't understand any of the idiosyncrasies there and that we were able to just make pure creative work um they really love um creativity in their culture Mm. they love people who zig when other people zag they're kind of famous for that Mm. so they really latched onto us and it was a great time for us to be there and libby you were there at the beginning of mother right you were there when mother was born um i started mother yeah with robert savile what how did that how did that happen well, I mean, if you want to talk about lessons for people, young people, like, yeah. I was the one person that was picked out of Robert's creative department to start it with him. So um, just remember that if you're wondering uh, if you should be nice to your creative <laughs> But um, I got lucky and he picked me to um, start that agency with him and partner with him. Um, and, you know, I think it's really about being a t-shaped person i don't know if you've heard that term or not i don't know how popular that is but i have but but explain it to people yeah well it's about really you know having something that you do a skill um that you're amazing at but also being able to have about five other skills that you can also pivot to and be agile enough to work within so that's what it really takes to start an ad agency. And so I guess Robert recognized that in me because, you know, all of us at mother, when we started needed to wear about five or six different hats, literally. Um, And that, that's kind of what it took to get that job done. And I was, you know, stoked that he picked me to do it. Why do you, what were your, so the T shape is the, uh, the top of the T is all of your uh, five or six skills. And the, the bottom of the T is that one deep one that you have. What was your one deep one? Art direction. And I think disruption. So Robert told me that the name of the agency was going to be Tom, Dick and Harry. 
<laughs> and so his thinking behind it was every other ad agency, literally, I mean, there was no exceptions to this, had the founder's name on the door. Yeah. So Gold Greenleaf Trot that we were talking about earlier, that's, you know, three last names, surnames of people. Yeah. Um, and so he was taking, you know, that was his piss take on it. You know, Tom, Dick and Harry is trying to say we're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really challenged him and I sort of said, well, that's a great little joke, you know, for campaign. And but what is this agency really going to stand for? What could we really name this agency that could inspire creatives because, you know, I really believe that the way to change the fortunes of companies is through creativity and innovation. So if we're going to be trying to inspire creatives or anybody who works there to kind of push those boundaries, we must have a name that really stands for for creation. Mm. And as I explained to him, could also be put on anything. If we're going to make a pub, what's a name we can stick on that pub? If we're going to make um, some underwear, what's a great underwear name? And so that's how we came up with Mother. I named the company for him. So, and and I've read that it was it was from the idea of it's a word that means uh, creation in any language. Is that is that true? Is that yeah? Is that absolutely. where it came from? Kind of, okay. Yeah. And, Pure creation, yeah. yeah. That's great. And it still exists today. They're still doing things uh, here in New York, I believe, right? They're they're still doing that stuff? They're yeah, still... I mean, they, they just became agency of the decade, and they were voted number four agency globally yeah. as well. So, so they're, they have a Buenos Aires office, a New York office, and a London office. And Robert told me they just started an L.A. office. Wow. Now, uh, yeah, look it up. Uh, everybody listening, uh, mother, uh, and uh, check out the work they did. Uh, some of the some of the stuff, uh, especially the early on stuff, just uh, just amazing, just amazing work. It must have been so uh, inspiring and exciting to be there. Um, you guys, uh, I, I want to get to Odysseus Arms, and and uh, we're kind of running out of time, so I want to I want to make sure we get that in. Bring us to Odysseus Arms from from that time in England and and what you did in between to get here. Well, uh, Libby, after like five years of pounding mother into shape, yeah. uh, pulled over to build a family, um, and that's kind of the way you did that back then. Um, and then I kind of kept going in in the U.S. I really wanted to come back here. I I got onto the Fallon team, which was around 2001, mm-hmm. um, which was a pretty formidable group of copywriters and art directors. Was that in New York or um, in Minneapolis? No, we moved to Minneapolis. Yeah. And so I worked at Blue Bars, and that was pretty amazing. Greg Pat Fallon was there as well, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was an all-star team. Yeah. I felt like I was on the JV or something. Mm-hmm. Um Bob Barry and partner partner with Bob Barry on projects. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dean Hansen, you know, just legends. Mike Lascarbo. Yeah. You know. Um, I love these names because all... people can look them up and 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 really get a sense because I, I think there's no there's no real place to to get that other than hearing from people who've been there. So thank well, you for those. Well, nobody names. knows who Alex Bogusky is apparently, which Franklin and I are all, always horrified yeah. by. Or David Ogilvie. These guys go back for that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So then I I did that for a while, and then I I noticed this weird agency in Miami that was doing 
super cool stuff that reminded me of England. Um, and so I sort of uh, grabbed onto Bogusky's pant leg and just held on, mm-hmm. um, sort of hacked my way into an interview. I think I said I was in town or something, and I, I was like, you know, visiting a friend, basically. Um, got an interview, got a job, uh, and then had three amazing years with those guys. Uh, that that was an amazing run. Just yeah. it, when you looked at the gun report, when we got finished with that, we were literally the, the second place agency in, in award points, you know, had about half the points. I think it was like BBDO New York. Um, so we, you know, we did the, the mini campaigns and yeah. Methodist and Ikea and uh, Microsoft and and that there was that whole era. Um, and then I went, I worked, I basically took a job as Rich Silverstein's butler for a year. Um, Whoa, what? And I, <laughs> not really. I, what does that I mean? mean? Yeah, when you work with a guy of, of his caliber, you kind oh, of I feel see. like his, told his coat for him. Yeah, you would have um, done that, Yeah, right? so it took me about a year to, to for him to let me do, you know, creative direct anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but we pitched Sprint Nextel and drove that thing to a, a titanium, which, is uh cons titanium given out to the the campaign integrated campaign that most changes someone's business alters someone's business for the the better so that mm-hmm. was pretty cool because telco is not easy <laughs> yeah and that can't um, that campaign was, was the was that the the moment campaign what was that yeah yeah now network now yes the uh, now network right and it was all about now, now network. uh you invented the internet basically with that we introduced <laughs> most of the real time the, uh, country to Twitter. It's like buried in the ad. There's a like a joke about Twitter, and we didn't even know what tweeting tweeting didn't have a name. It was so young. Oh wow! Um, we were looking around for these disparate technologies yeah. that represented, you know, how modern they were, and so we, you know, did a deal with Twitter, but they didn't even have the word tweet. So we called. It, I think in the script I wrote, um, twit twittered. <laughs> I twittered. So many people twittered on Twitter. <laughs> well, you tried. You tried. You almost had it. <laughs> I mean, and then, I mean, it was just kind of obvious. You know, Franklin really um, wanted to start a, another shop. And so we sort of thought, well, you know, I had a lot of ambitions for what needed to happen in this industry. And I think so much of it has come to fruition now, which is the whole Me Too movement and just recognizing for myself um, how impossibly hard it was to do anything in the industry. And so, you know, Franklin and I sort of thought, um, not only could we, you know, let's try and challenge ourselves to be able to continue to innovate culture in the way that we've always had the luxury of doing in our career, but how could we also bring in the diversity that this industry needs? I mean, I'm sure you're across the statistics that like, you know, all purchase decisions, like 80% of them are made by women and there's like 3% women in this, this industry. And then don't even get started on like, you know, cultural diversity. So there's, you know, a lot of things still broken about this industry that OA could help change, who could inspire other people to do. Um, this industry always, you know, continues to evolve with all of the platforms and technology. But inside of it, fundamentally, uh, there's a lot of broken things. So that's a lot of what we're about here. Mm-hmm. 
And you are uh, how, how did you how did you structure Odysseus Arms when you when you first started, and how has it changed? Well, we're in our eighth year, and the structure really hasn't changed. The core part of um, you know what we do here is something that we talked about earlier in the podcast, which is working with consumers. I mean, so Franklin and I were always seen as oddballs coming up through um, these creative shops because no one understood why we cared about the strategy and the planning process and why we cared what anybody thought. They just, you know, the other creatives and, and account people just thought we should be selfishly thinking about where we were going to travel to and shoot. Um, but we were, you know, overly concerned with what people thought about the brands we were working on, what they were going to think about the creative that we were doing. And so that really inspired us um, at OA to really devote ourselves to working with the consumers. For every project that we do, we probably spend like 200, like 100 plus hours with each consumer trying to get to know them. We like completely converted our office into more of a salon, which is like couches where we can hang out and talk to people. And it's not um, sort of old school uh, research and focus groups mm -hmm. uh, where we're actually getting not just consumers, but key stakeholders. So let's take a vodka project. It's the millennials who are going to drink it. It's mixologists, it's bartenders. And getting together real discussion groups to be able to help the brands that we work on. And do clients like that? Are they, are they, uh, are they, are they, are they buying that? Are they, are they in there doing it with you? What's the, what's the response you get? So Libby, Libby, we, it's got a name for maybe the past couple of years. Um, this name third eye emerged. Oh, right. Um, yeah. I read about that. Yeah. Yeah, and so Libby, Libby is kind of fearless, and she also doesn't really adhere to, to many rules or boundaries. Um, so she didn't really get the memo that creatives weren't supposed to hang out with the actual consumer. Mm -hmm. um, so she built this whole system of sort of infiltrating and, and you know collaborating with the actual people you're trying to get to move your brand forward. Yeah. So uh, it's end to end. And she's kind of perfected it at this point. Um, she can kind of take on any space, any product, anything, and, and basically shake it down and figure out, you know, what are the most powerful insights in a, in a you know, a, a digital environment that, that has a lot, has a millions of niches and, mm -hmm. and um, sort of passion points. Um, which one's the one, you know? Like, so she figured out how to, how to shake that down and find them. And now that's, you know, it's, it's, it's basically, you know, a combination of technology, old-fashioned planning, focus groups. It's a sort of stack that she's built. But when you see her do it, she looks a lot more like uh, Ellen DeGeneres just holding court. Um, and she, she just has these really, you know, like very informal, very normal conversations with people where they um, – So it doesn't feel know, like research. Never, it feels like It feels like you're just having a conversation and you're making things together. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's am I, am I getting it right? collaborating. 
Yeah, I mean, it's collaborating with consumers is the best way we can describe it. Yeah. And so I think some of the differences is like, imagine if you're talking to somebody about an idea, like a lot of times we don't form things up into like tight storyboards or scripts or something like that, but we'll just kind of explain the ideas. And usually what happens with um, planners or strategists is they come back about three weeks later and try and deliver this information. Hmm. So it's not really relevant to our world today and how fast it's moving. So what we're able to do is uh, because we're the creatives doing it, we'll start hunting all sorts of ideas. Um, so when we're really off on things that we think, you know, we should, we think we've solved something in an amazing way. We find out that we're really wrong. We're able to start hunting ideas in a lot of different directions right. to try and, figure things out a lot faster. I love that because it's, uh, it, it's something that I remember Alex Bogusky saying and, and reading it somewhere that like ideas are a dime a dozen. Ideas are easy. Ideas are, you know, and we know they're not completely easy, but, but they are uh, just the output of your brain if you've been steeped in this enough. And if you can do it, uh, you can come up with 10 or 12 ideas uh, in an hour with a bunch of people and uh, you, if you're if you're sort of not um, you don't bring your ego into it, you don't make it about like, well, I want it to be a certain way. Uh, it can be really powerful, and I think that's you've you've hooked into that um, and sort of uh, being super transparent with your uh, with your thinking and your ideas. That's that's so exciting. I want to watch that happen. Can I come watch that happen? <laughs> yes, please come. Okay. You bring up a good point. It's made it a lot more fun. I mean, I got to tell you, like having gone through all those agencies we talked about, it yeah. was, uh, a lot of them, it was a very like monastic experience <laughs> Yeah. as a writer. Yeah. You know, you were kind of walled off maybe with, with an art director sitting there across from you and you had like no connectivity, no real connectivity to real people uh, consuming you know, a lot of media these days. Right. Um, so it makes it a lot of fun, you know, like the, the real people are, they're media savvy. They're, they're incredibly articulate. Um, they generally defend spaces that they love. So whatever we're, whatever we've recruited them to talk about, they're going to, you know, they're not going to allow us to screw it up. Yeah. So we kind of consequently, we've, you know, here we are like five years later, we haven't really ever had a fail. Now we don't care about failures. Fine. Yeah. But as, once you get into market and you're putting real money behind this stuff, you can't fail. So we've never had a fail. We've only had degrees of success and super success. And yeah. it's because we do all that pre-work, you know, we do all that groundwork and establishing, you know, real connections and real finding out real nuances that are going to, you know, they're going to keep the, the basically build towards the relevance of, of whatever you're putting out there. Because guess what? You literally have a split second to stop yeah. the thumb. Yeah. It, it would <laughs> be interesting. Right. <laughs> it would be interesting for a student coming out of like Ad House Ad School, which uh, is our sponsor, <laughs> and uh, see them coming out of there uh, or see them in that school just showing their ideas to people on the go. Like, uh, like it would be so uh, – I think it would teach a lot more and a lot faster um, – how to do this stuff as opposed to like, I made this ad and uh, I art directed it perfectly and it's in my, it's on my website and I'm never going to change it again. I see a lot of, you know, I, I give a lot of feedback and people don't want to go back and change it, but to, 
to have that tenacity, I think, is important. So uh, it, it would be – I'm just thinking out loud that it would be super interesting to, to watch some kid learn like that in front of people. I agree. I mean, I think, I think you kind of nailed it. And, and what you're saying is you can kind of learn from people. Uh, you expose stimulus to them. You expose an idea to them and see what they do with it. You yeah. know? And, and you're going to – it's going to affect you in, in a useful way. Yeah. And the people that we talk to are – Super interesting people. A lot of those um, research places are literally using like 35-year-old guys with a pizza oven in their parents' basement. And this is their only job is doing focus groups. Whereas we're bringing in real key stakeholders that have interesting POVs that are really part of that core target instead of you know, just people who would sign up to make 50 bucks. Yeah, it's not just the, the people with the time. It's the people with the experience and the, and the, uh, the, the right frame of mind and the, the actual target, not just people. Um, that's so interesting. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Uh, it's so inspiring that you guys that you guys do things that way. Uh, how can people uh, How can people get in touch with you and send you their? Uh, now remember, you said you'd respond to every uh, every email. With me. <laughs> um, where Where should they write to you? Well, of course, it's on our website at o arms.com or you can just hit me at libby at o arms.com. Uh, and, uh, is there, is there anything that you guys, uh, I haven't asked, I'm a, I'm a really bad interviewer. I just kind of get on the phone with people and, and I'm so glad you guys got on the phone with me, but, uh, anything that you want to, you want to tell anybody that I haven't asked you? Um, I think we covered a lot. I mean, I think we did too. Say, did Jay Shiat, <laughs> mother, Crispin. Fallon, Goodby, yeah. OA. Vote. Did you I mean, vote? You know, Did you guys vote I, yet? I, yeah, we voted. Yeah. Oh, good. I mean, the only other thing that I would really inspire people to do is less than half of all Americans still, like, don't have a passport. Um, or, sorry, like, there's, like, 60% of Americans still don't have a passport. So I would, I would challenge people to really, you know, put themselves in different environments to get out of their comfort zone. I think that's a big way that you can train yourself to run a company or Mm. think of creative ideas. I think empathy is like a really overused word, but if you literally walk in someone else's shoes and shake yourself up a bit and taste things differently, breathe different things, that that kind of, um, travel can really help inspire you in in so many different ways. Um, And so I don't think we really, you know, we don't have the gap year after college for anybody who doesn't know what that is. Like most Europeans take a year off after basically their equivalent of high school and they travel around a bit before they walk into what they're going to do next. And even though they say millennials are going to have like five different careers, I think that's cool. The only problem with doing that is you really lose all your clout. So if you, you know, spend all this time building yourself up in an industry, you start back at ground zero Mm. um, and kind of lose all that respect. So, you know, taking a bit of time and, and traveling around and that sort of thing can can really help people out. 
And I was lucky enough to meet Franklin, who really inspired me to do that. And it really changed the course of my life forever. Aw. Aw. That's such good advice, too. And I think it, it dovetails with what we were saying earlier about read books outside of advertising. You know, do do things that you're not comfortable doing. Uh, and I think that that's something that connects all of the people I've spoken to on this podcast. Um they are all people who were sort of – who were brave enough to go and do something that they had no fucking idea what they were doing at first. And it was OK. And it came out OK. Uh, and uh, and I thank you for, for, for doing that and for telling your story to us. That, that was really inspiring. Thank you, Tom. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, and thanks, Tom. This is really fun. I want to meet in person and and do this for real. So uh, next time, I was just in San Francisco for Dreamforce. I, I should have looked you guys up. All right. Um, and uh, next time you're here or I'm there, let's do it. Well, yeah, and we're coming to New York in a few weeks. So, oh, great. Like, hopefully, maybe we can grab you and Mark for some food or something. That would be awesome. Right on, Tom. We'll talk to you real soon. Thanks, Libby and Franklin. Odysseus Arms, everybody. All right. Have a great day. Take care. And that was my conversation with Libby and Franklin. They're such good people. I love them. I want to go over and see that whole third eye thing. Um, I want to get dots. I don't know. What are these dots? How come nobody told me about dots and the importance of dots? You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Mongo Industries, uh, also Instagram. And you can check out Damasimo Goldstein at digobrands.com. And the A-list is recorded at Gramercy Post in New York City. Our engineer is Matt Stillo. And our producer is Casey Valigursky. Thanks, everybody. I don't know what I did there. I went to the end, the outro. Damn it. Matt, I'm off. I haven't had lunch. And I need to get some lunch because I'm, I'm really losing my mind. Thanks, everybody. 